Hello, and welcome to the Calvary Road Baptist Church Podcast. I'm Pastor Paul Shirley, and I'd like to thank you for taking the time to listen. Each week, we will be releasing sermons and studies delivered directly from the pulpit at our church. Our goal with this podcast from Calvary Road Baptist Church is to make the gospel and sound biblical preaching more available to a wider audience. We hope that these sermons will be a blessing and an encouragement to you each week. As the scripture reads in Psalm 119 and verse 116, Uphold me according unto thy word, that I may live, and let me not be ashamed of my hope. Now, let's hear from God's word. Back to this topic of unity in the book of Ephesians chapter 4. So if you're there, say amen. Uh, let's all stand together. We're going to read just seven or six or seven verses here. Uh, starting in verse number 1, we'll read along together in Ephesians chapter 4 and verse number 1. The Bible says, I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you that you walk worthy of the vocation wherewith you are called, with all lowliness and meekness, with longsuffering, forbearing sorry, one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, even as ye are called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all and through all and in you all. But unto every one of us is given grace according to the measure of the gift of Christ. Let's pray. Father, we thank you, Lord, for allowing us once again to come to your house. Thank you, God, for bringing us together safely. Thank you, God, for bringing us together in one heart, I believe, this morning in one accord. I pray, God, if you would, Lord, that you'd inhabit this message. God, that your spirit would have free reign in the service. Lord, this morning, as we endeavor to keep the spirit and to keep the unity and the bond of peace, God, this morning in this church and in this service, I pray, God, speak to our hearts. I pray, God, that there'd be no hindrance of pride or hindrance, Lord, of a of anger or variance, Lord, or bitterness, or anything in the heart of anyone this morning, God, that might get in the way of the Holy Spirit speaking to us. God, I pray that you'd have perfect liberty. Help me to preach, God. Help us all to listen and to receive. We love you. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. We'll talk to you this morning about the unity of the Spirit. The unity of the Spirit. Now, I take that, that thought from verse number 3 where it says, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit. Now, if you look there in verse number 3, you'll notice that word Spirit is different from the other words in the verse in that it's capitalized. Whenever you see a capital S in your Bible, that is a proper noun. It's a name. And that name is the Holy Spirit. So we know that the Spirit, the unity of the Spirit, is the unity of God the Holy Spirit. Amen. God the Holy Ghost. One part of the Trinity of God, that being the Holy Spirit, who we know is also called the Comforter. Last week we talked about our passage in Psalm 133, where it speaks about uh, the oil. We talked about how that oil in verse number 2 is a type of the Spirit. Amen. And that we need that anointing power. And when we talked about our vision, I told you last week that our vision is only going to be accomplished through the Spirit. That we have to have the Spirit of God in order to accomplish anything in this world. Amen. To do anything else is to have a form of godliness, 
denying the power thereof. It's empty. If the Spirit is not in it, then it's empty. Amen. And we know that and we understand that. So when we talk about doing anything in the work of God and, and doing anything in our church at Calvary Road Baptist Church and, and going forth into the, into the world and preaching the gospel and doing all those things, they can only be done properly and they can only be done effectively through the power of the Holy Spirit. Anything that we try to do through the power of our flesh is doomed to fail. In fact, sometimes we will see something and it looks good. And it sounds good, but they'll just seem like there's something a little off. Have you ever been in a situation like that? You go to a church service or in, in, in a strange place or, or you, something's going on and, and the things that are being said, they sound okay and, and they look okay on face value and, and, and it seems like it would be good, but there's just something off. Amen? And what that is a lot of times is it's that form of godliness denying the power thereof. And unfortunately, sometimes that sort of stuff even goes on through the wrong kind of spirit. Amen. Not the Holy Spirit. But as we talk about unity, we have to understand that unity in the church only exists because of the Holy Spirit. And that's what we'll talk to you about today in these verses. We'll go down through it and just, just sort of a simple, straightforward, uh, not going to get real deep or anything this morning. And in fact, it might even seem a little bit repetitive from some of the stuff we talked about last week as I've gone through these verses this morning. But the difference between this verse, uh, these verses rather, which I read in last week's sermon and our text from last week in Psalm 133, is that here Paul begins to explain how that the New Testament church can keep unity in the church. And these are the things that we're going to have to have in order to have unity. And we talked some about that last week, but rather we talked more about the fact of what unity can do for us and why it's necessary. But just to just go ahead and hop right in tonight, uh, this morning, let me explain to you that the unity of the Spirit in verse 3 is still the unity of the brethren. It is still the brethren dwelling together in unity. And that, that brethren uh, dwelling together in unity can only be done by the power of the Holy Spirit. This unity of the Spirit brings God's children into unity one with another and into unity with their God by the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. Did you know that you cannot be in unity with God if you've never been saved? Now, there's a lot of people who would tell you that's not true. They would tell you that being saved uh, doesn't matter and that there's no such thing and that we're all God's children. Amen? That's not true. We're not all God's children. In fact, I'll read you some verses here in a little bit that explain that not every person that is born is a child of God. That we are only children of God by adoption, the Bible teaches. And that adoption comes by the Spirit. And it only comes to those who've been saved by the gospel, amen, by believing in the Lord Jesus Christ, putting their faith in Him and their trust in Him. And then with the mouth, confession is made unto salvation. So we understand... That if we have been saved, if you have been saved, and as I look around this morning, many of you, if I were to ask, I know, would raise your hand and say, Amen, Brother Paul, I've been saved. Amen. If you've been saved, you have the Holy Spirit living inside of you. He dwells within you. And there are certain things that, uh, that are going to come as an effect of having one part of the Holy Trinity of God living inside of you. How could there not be? 
The message that there's no such thing as, uh, as holiness or, or that God wants us, to, that God doesn't care if we're holy and that there's no such thing as, as, if you will, really what the Bible calls the fruit of the Spirit and that us being changed in the way we act and the things we do because of salvation is ignorant. That's an ignorant statement. And by the way, that is a prevailing message of today. That's what they call a false doctrine. It rejects the Scripture and says that, well, if you're saved, there is no true physical manifestation of that so long as you believe and confess you're good and it doesn't matter how you live and it doesn't matter what you do and it doesn't matter. That's not true. That can't, how could God, one part of God, move into your body, literally, inside of you and it not change the way that you are? It couldn't is the answer. Verse 1, let's look first of all at the plea for unity. So down in verses number 4, down through, or verse number 7, or specifically 4 through 6, Paul outlines uh, seven different bonds of unity. We're not going to get into all those today. I'll probably be dealing with those separately or maybe some together as we go forward. But today in these first three verses, he's speaking specifically about the fact that it is the unity of the Spirit. And he begins to, uh, to present a plea for that in verse number 1. And in that plea first, we see the source of the plea. He says this, I, therefore, the prisoner of the Lord. Who's writing this in the book of Ephesians? Paul. Paul's writing this. Paul is in prison, as he often was. I mean, that guy spent a lot of time in jail. Amen. And here he was in prison, and he was imprisoned by the Romans. Amen. Or at said times by the Jews and put into that, those places of difficulty. And so he could have said the prisoner of the Jews, the prisoner of Rome, the prisoner of Caesar, but he didn't. He said, I, therefore, the prisoner of the Lord. Now, that's an interesting thing to say. And by the way, I don't think he's saying it bitterly. It's almost like a badge of honor. He's proud to be the prisoner of the Lord. He's proud to be exactly where God wants him to be. And you know where God wanted him? In prison. Isn't that crazy? And you know, you might think, wow, why? Why would God want this man in prison? Well, let me ask you this. Do you think that maybe if Paul hadn't been in prison, he might not have had all the time he needed to write these things down for us? Maybe God stuck him in there because, you know, Paul wasn't really a laid-back sort of guy. He was kind of a go-getter, you know. Just go, 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 go. Got back from his mission trip, slept, got up the next morning, went to his next mission trip. I mean, that was Paul, nonstop all the way. And here he is locked up behind bars, and the only thing he's wanting is paper and pens. That's what he's wanting, parchment and quills and ink to write because God is sending him divine intervention and divine words that are the words of God for you. And so Paul said, here I am, the prisoner of the Lord, and happy to be, proud to be, that I have learned to be content, amen, in whatever state I'm in. That's what he said, whatever state I am, I've learned therewith to be content, that godliness with contentment is great gain. Those are the words he wrote in prison. And here he is, the prisoner of the Lord. In 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 8, he said this to Timothy, Be not thou therefore ashamed of the testimony of our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner, but be thou partaker of the afflictions of the gospel according to the power of God, who saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was given us in Christ Jesus before the world began. You know what he said? He said, don't be ashamed to suffer for God. Amen. Don't be ashamed, but rather be happy. Be, be glad to be used by God because 
We are called with a holy calling, not according to our works, not according to things that, that we can do or we want to do, but according to His own purpose and grace. Purpose because, well, where you are is where God wants you to be. And what the time, sometimes the storms, like Brother Caleb preached on a couple weeks back, that God puts us in those storms and allows those storms to come. And they're tough and they're hard. But Paul said this, he said, not only has he called us according to his own purpose, but also with grace. You know what that means? That even in the storm, there is grace. Amen. And that even when things are hard, that God will go with you in the storm and that he'll give you the grace to get through that storm. Amen. The source of the plea was from a man who knew very well that even though he was in prison and going through a difficult time in his life, that he was right where the Lord had taken him. Now that's a tough understanding to have, isn't it? But to have unity of the Spirit means not only to have unity with one another, but with God. And how can you be at peace with God when you're not at peace with where God has you? Amen. Now, that's hard. Amen. Here's Paul knowing that his brethren are being killed out there. Murdered. Like James. Amen. Like these other men who were, who were being you know, used as torches to light the ways of Nero and these wicked men. Murdered for no other reason than the fact that they proclaimed the name of Christ. And here he is in prison, suffering and cold and alone. Just writing letters. And he says this. He says, I therefore the prisoner of the Lord. Yeah, God has put me in prison. And if that's where he wants me, well, it's his purpose, not mine. Amen. That's the, that's the source of the plea. It's from him, Paul, the prisoner of the Lord. He was doing his very best to exemplify the things that he was trying to teach the church at Ephesus. To exemplify what it means to be at unity with the Spirit and in and of the Spirit. That even in prison, he was at peace with God. And that's tough. You say, man, that sounds too difficult for me. Well, we'll talk about that here in a minute. And he says this, I, therefore, the prisoner of the Lord. When he says that word, therefore, we see the support for the plea. And the support for the plea comes from chapters 1 through 3. He says this, I, therefore, the prisoner of the Lord. When, when you see that, therefore, when you see that often, you have to go, well, what's that there for? <laughs> Amen? What's that there for? There for? Well, it's there for a reason. And it's there to say this. Because of this, this is true. Because of what? Well, let's just turn back to the very last thing he said in Ephesians chapter 3, verse 14. He said this in Ephesians 3, 14. For this cause, I bow my knees unto the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, of whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named that he would grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with might by his what? Spirit in the inner man. What's he talking about right there? He's talking about what we were just talking about a second ago. The Holy Spirit living inside of you. Amen. That with the, his spirit inside the inner man that we can be strengthened with might. You know how Paul was able to be okay with God in prison? Because he was strengthened in might by the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. It's not because Paul was just some superhuman. He wasn't. He was a Christian murderer before he got saved. He was a bigot and a hateful person 
who observed all the religious rites, that, pow- that, that form of godliness without the power, he had all that, but it wasn't until he got saved that God started using him to do truly miraculous things. Verse 17, that Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith, that ye being rooted and grounded in love may be able to comprehend with all saints what is the breadth and length and depth and height, and to know the love of Christ, which passeth knowledge, that he might be filled with the fullness of God, now unto him that is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think, according to the power that worketh in us. Unto him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus throughout all ages, world without end. Amen. Now unto him that is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think. Now we quote that a lot, don't we? Amen. That we say, amen, God is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think. According to what? According to the power that worketh in us. And what power is that? The Holy Spirit. It's the Spirit that indwells man. He just said it there in verse number 16. By His Spirit in the inner man. And Paul's saying this, because of that, because you've been saved, because you know the Lord, you can be the prisoner of the Lord and at unity with the Spirit of God. The support for the plea, the seriousness of the plea said this. He said, I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you. That word beseech is a lot like that word behold in Psalm 133 verse 1. It's an attention getter. That beseech means this. I am begging you. I implore you that you walk worthy of the vocation wherewith ye are called. When he said, I beseech you, when he said that, he's saying, I'm begging you, behold, listen, pay attention. I'm imploring you that you take this seriously. And then we see the specifics of the plea. That you walk worthy of the vocation wherewith you're called. That vocation, I believe, is in two different things. One is that we are called to His salvation. Amen. If you've been saved, you were drawn of the Spirit. Amen? If you've been saved, there was a time in your life where the Holy Spirit spoke to your heart and revealed to you that you were lost and called you forth to Him. Amen? How many of y'all remember that night or that day or that morning when the Lord spoke to your heart and you felt that burning within, that fearfulness, that contrite heart, that broken spirit as the Holy Ghost spoke into your heart and into your ear and showed you that you were lost. And showed you that if you died the way that you were, that you'd go to a devil's hell. And that he called you unto him. Amen. Come unto me. Come unto me. And be saved. He said, come to me. Be saved. Come to the altar. Go to your knees. Do whatever he asked you to do in that moment. Called you. said, if you'll just believe, I'll save you. How many of y'all have been called into his salvation? Say amen. 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 If you've been called into his salvation then you have a vocation wherewith you were called. And that is to become a son of God. But he didn't just save us to save us. Although he did die for our sins. And he did did want to save us. But once he saved us, he called us into his service. We're called into his salvation. We're also called to his service. That's that vocation. And Wednesday night, if you had a chance to check out the live stream for just a couple of minutes, I read you some passages there from the Old Testament how that God told Moses that he had put it in the heart the ability in the hearts of men to do those things like to make the, the fabric and the work with the metal and work with the stone and do those things. It was according to their hearts that God 
gave them those gifts and how that God has a place for every single soul, every single Christian, every saved individual that He brings into the glorious light of salvation. He does that because He has a place for them. Something that He wants them to do. Amen. He called us His spiritual building and that we are lively stones fashioned after the living stone, which is Christ, and that God has taken those lively stones and that He is building His church with us. That means that every single saved individual has a place in the work of God. Some are musicians, some are preachers, teachers, pastors, evangelists, some are electricians, and some are HVAC guys, amen, and some are this and some are that, and some are, some are good at writing things, and some are good at, at making beautiful things, and some are good at, at talking to others, and some are good at being encouraging, amen, that God has a gift and a place that He gives to each according to His several ability, that He gives to each of us according to His purpose and ability that we can use for God. Amen. He does that. In fact, I happen to believe that if you have a skill, big or small in the eyes of men, that it's a gift from God. The Lord made it pretty easy And I say this, not bragging, I'm giving God glory. Please, I hope you don't take it that way. But the Lord made it very easy for me to learn to play instruments. I never took a lesson of any kind for any instrument. The Lord taught, my dad told me C, G, and F on a piano. And I sat down and worked at it for a few months, and the Lord just taught me to play. And it's grown, you know, the Lord developed that. But he put that in me because he wanted me to use it for his glory. That's it. Period. And I look at others who, and, and you know, people say things to me like Brother Jeff did that, you know, frankly, don't take this the wrong way, but you make me sick. Amen. And when he said that, I know, he was just, I know he's just kind of joking a little bit, I'm kind of serious. Uh, you know, that, that he's just like, he just wishes he could do this or wishes he could do that. Well, the truth is, there's plenty of things that y'all can do that I wish that I could do. That I wish I could see it the way you see it. And I wish that I could, I could do the things that you do and, and do the work because God gives to each of us and ability, and when he does, he does it for one reason. His good pleasure. He does it because he wants to. And when he gives it to you, his expectation is that you will take that ability and use it for his glory. What other purpose could it possibly serve? For you to make money? Maybe. So you can turn around and give that money to the church. Amen. Hallelujah. And give to God and serve that way. Amen. I believe God makes some millionaires thinking y'all can give to the work of God. Sure. Everything he does is all to circle back around to his purpose. That's why we were made. That's why we were made. To please him at his good pleasure, to glorify him. And what that means is this. We have all been called according to a vocation. And that vocation is to serve God, to bless God, to please God. And if we are not doing that, then we're not walking worthy of the vocation wherewith we're called. Now I could, I'm not going to preach this morning on on all the ways that we can walk unworthily, amen, but I'll just say this and move on, that if God has given you a gift, it's your job to use it for His glory. Say, well, you know, I I don't really like that. I don't really like doing that so much. Well, you know what you need to do? Ask the Lord to help you like that. Amen? Because he's given, you a, he's given you a gift. He's given you a strength and ability. And if he has, it's your job to use it for his glory. 
Amen. I know people who are beautiful singers and beautiful pianists or beautiful at great at playing a guitar, and they just don't, they just can't do it in church because they just get nervous. Well, can I tell you that God's given you in that ability so that you can glorify Him with it? That's what it's for. And the fact that it's tough for us, sometimes it just means we've got to push on through. I can't tell you how many times I've sat down at a piano and made an utter fool of myself. Amen. Y'all are listening to me play the piano now at 34. When I was 14 and I was playing before and after every service, you know what it was? Get off the piano. Amen. It was, you are getting on our nerves. Why are you always on the piano? Please get off. Amen. And now they're like, oh, well, okay. I guess the Lord wanted you to do that. Well, that's just the way it works. God wants us to take our abilities, whatever they may be, and use them for his glory. Amen. Fine, let's move on. Secondly, we see not only the plea of unity, and we see the prospect, the precepts, rather. The precepts of unity. In verse number two, after his plea, he begins to outline the process of what it means to keep the unity in the church. In other words, without these key precepts, there will never be unity in the church. Can I also say this? Because we're talking about this. Unity, I said it to you at the beginning, unity of the Spirit. The unity of the Spirit is... The unity of the brethren by the power of the Spirit, it brings God's children into unity with one another and with their God by the indwelling of His Spirit. So we understand that this unity of the Spirit is not only with you all together, although it certainly is, amen, amen, it certainly is, amen, amen, thank you. When I say amen, it means that you're supposed to say amen, okay? I'm just leading you by example, okay? Unity is in the Spirit not only between you and one another, although it certainly is, it's between you and your God. You cannot have that without verse 2. You can't have it. First, with all lowliness and meekness. We see lowliness. Lowliness is humbleness of the mind. It means that in your mind you're humble. Now, it's easy to, to appear humble. Amen. I'm humble and proud of it. Hallelujah. Y'all have heard that, haven't you? I'm, bless God, I'm the most humble person here. That's not lowliness, okay? That, you know, and, and I'm not saying you, sometimes you don't got to try it, but lowliness is a humbleness of the mind. It's inside your own heart and inside your own mind you have a low perception of yourself. Now, it's not, oh, I don't have self-esteem and, oh, I hate myself. It's not that. It is, I understand my position. I'm no better than anyone else. I can do nothing without Christ and that God is above all. Amen. It's an understanding in your mind of your position, of where you actually are. It is, it, and a lot of times we lack that, don't we? We look at ourselves and we think, well, at least I'm not like them. At least I'm not like them. At least I'm not like that one over there. Amen. You know, well, I could be doing this, or wow, did you see what they did or hear what they did? Wow. You know, it's a, it's a lifting up of ourselves in our mind, whereas lowliness is a lowering of ourselves in our minds. It's not just with our words, but it's in our hearts and in our minds that we understand that we are not better, amen, than anyone else, that we are low and that we are unworthy of our God and that it is only because of His mercies and his compassions which fail not that we have anything good. Amen. It's a lowliness. It's a humility in the mind. Meekness 
is less inwardly and more outwardly. Meekness, in fact, I would say, is a direct result of inner lowliness. Can I say it that way? Meekness is a direct result of inner lowliness. If you have that humility of mind, then you will have meekness. So what is meekness? It is, withhold, it, 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 is a, uh, it is a gentleness, if you will. It's to be gentle. The Bible calls it harmless. That's what it means to be meek. To be meek is to be gentle. It is to be harmless. It is to have a softness of temper. How many of y'all have heard the statement, meekness is weakness? Anybody ever heard that? That's a lie. The most meek person who ever lived was our Lord Jesus Christ. You think he was weak? Now, that should have been a strong gray man right there. You think he was weak? I'm going to give you one more chance. Do you think our Lord Jesus was, meek, was weak? No, he was not weak. Was he meek? He was not weak. He was the strongest man who ever lived. Could you go to a cross and open not your mouth? Could you stand before a congregation of your peers with nothing but your blood on their mind knowing that you'd done nothing wrong and not even defend yourself? He did. Why? Because he was meek. Meek is the ability to look on and to want to lash out and to want to just let them have it and not. It's a softness of temper. It's when, you're, it's when that person runs off at the mouth or pops off about something and says something and it, it makes you mad, but instead of you know slapping them or blessing them out or dressing them down or trying to make them feel small, you don't. It's meekness. It's, you know what, that was rough and that was harsh and, and maybe I don't deserve it, but the truth is I probably do. It's lowliness coming out. Did you know that we can't have unity without meekness? You know why? Because it's a matter of time before somebody pops off and says something that's going to make you mad. Amen? Do you ever do that? You ever say things you shouldn't? How many of y'all have ever said something the moment left your mouth you went, oh boy, wish I could have brought that one back in. Let me say that it's a lot harder to do that on social media. You got to type it out and hit enter. It's a lot easier to accidentally say something, but when you type it out and hit enter, it's premeditated, okay? So don't act like you didn't mean it. Hallelujah. <laughs> you, what you need is you need meekness and lowliness. Amen. That's what we need. It's an understanding that we are low, and it's not our job to straighten everybody out in the world. You know whose job it is to straighten out Christians? The Holy Spirit. It's His job. The Holy Spirit and the Word of God. That's whose job it is. And it's our job to be lowly and meek. Let me hurry on. Amen. Long-suffering. That word long-suffering, y'all know what it means. It means to suffer long. Hallelujah. That's a, it's pretty simple, isn't it? It means withholding from action, exercising patience and indulgence. The, Webster's 1828 uses the word indulgence because you're just letting it go for a while. Amen. That every time somebody does something that you think mm, needs to be dealt with, you don't just immediately... Go and just earn, just let them have it. No, but you, you just let it go. How many times did the disciples say dumb things? And the Lord, because he was long-suffering, he was patient, he was kind, he calmly explained, that's long-suffering. You know what's long-suffering? You coming to God and asking for forgiveness for the same old thing that you've done 
millions of times, and he hadn't got done with you yet. He just ain't got done with you yet. I hear a lot of Christians, and I hear a lot of people who aren't Christians say things like, well, I'm done. I've let it go, and I've, I've tried, and I've done this, but you know what? I'm just done with them. I don't think we ought to be done with anybody until the Lord's done with us. I mean, I think our Bible teaches us that, that we ought to forgive because our God in heaven has forgiven us. Isn't that what it teaches us? And I don't think we ought to write anybody off or let anybody go until the Lord lets us go. That's tough. Long-suffering. Forbearing. One another in love. That word forbearing, it means that it's, that, it's more of that withholding from action, that patience, that indulgence. Long-suffering. We bear injuries and provocation for a long time that we're not easily provoked. But that forbearing, it's looking at it and going, you know what? I've already been letting it go for a long time. And I've already gone through the long suffering. But now I'm trying to, to be patient. Why? Forbearing one another in love. We see the lowliness and long suffering. Then we see the love. The love of the brethren is this. Just like you will forgive your earthly brother or sister for things they do that are, that are just, man, are you serious? You just love, but you just love them. Just like we, our children, they, they disappoint us or they do things that anger us or they, they do the same crazy thing over and over and over again, but we still love them. We forbear. We forgive. We forbear. We forgive. So should we, our Christian spiritual brethren. We forbear one another in love. Then we see the laboring. I mentioned this last week. The beginning of verse number three says this, endeavoring to keep the unity. That word endeavor means striving. To work and strive to keep the unity. You know what that means? It's not easy. If you've been in church or been in the ministry very long, you'll find out that sometimes the people of God, because they're human, just like everybody else on this earth, do things, and you just think, what are you thinking? Amen? You get your feelings hurt. You get mad. You get in the car and you head home and you sit there and you think about not saying nothing and then you go, did you hear what she said? What was she thinking? They don't care about me. They don't care about us. They don't care about you. And, and, and that's the natural inclination of man. Because when we are mistreated, it is our natural inclination to mistreat in return. But that's not the way of Christ. The way of Christ is lowliness and meekness. That when we are mistreated, that we love in return. Jesus said this, he said, the publicans and the sinners, they love them that love them. What you need to do is love them that hate you and despitefully use you. You ever been despitefully used by somebody? Can I just tell you, that will make somebody mad. You know what Jesus said? Love them, pray for them. Because if you're saved, you ought to be able to do that. But here's the trick, it's not easy. That's why he says this, endeavoring. It means it is hard. It's like, it's like mining with a pickaxe or doing some other kind of just super strenuous just labor. Have, y'all, have any of y'all ever loaded and, and brought in square bales of hay? As a young man, you know, at 6'4 and 180 pounds, back before I discovered cheeseburgers or whatever, uh, you know, my dad thought it was a, a gift of God that the Lord had sent him a strapping, big, burly guy as a young teenage boy. And we had a sheep farm. Well, sheep don't eat well out rolled hay. they got to have them good old square bells. God bless America. 
You know what that meant? Dad's, dad's on top. He's on the wagon. My little brother is four years younger than me, who now ain't so little, driving the tractor, driving the truck at, you know, 0.5 miles per hour. And I am tossing hay bales up on top of this thing. Now, it's it a good workout, <laughs> you know. It was awful. I hated it. I mean, you talk about itching. There's no itch like your entire body covered in hay. And there's no, there's no pain in your hands like after 150 and going out for the second load of that grass twine, that twine just tearing up your hands. And Dad didn't believe in gloves. He said, ah, oh, those are for sissies. Amen. You got to work that rough. You got to get that rough skin on your hands, son. If you don't, it'll never stop hurting. Well, even if he was right, I don't care. I still hate him. Amen. I eventually got some of them welding gloves. You know the ones that you can't bend them <laughs> hardly? And I'm like, yeah, here we go. Amen. But can I just tell you, that's endeavoring. Once you've been doing this for three or four hours, and you've sweat out all your sweat and replenished it, and then sweat all that sweat out, and, and he's like, we got another load to go, one more, 150 bells, let's go. I'm thinking, God, I'm going to die out here. But I wasn't going to stop. Because he wasn't going to let me. Hallelujah. And your God doesn't want you to stop either. Say, well, it's hard and it hurts. Amen. It does hurt. And it is hard. That's why it's called endeavoring. Because it's work. Amen. It's work to be lowly. It's work to be meek. It's work to be long-suffering. It's work to forbear one another in love. To love your neighbor as yourself is work. In fact, it's impossible for a natural man. It's impossible. There's no amount of you telling yourself it's right, and thinking it's right, and reading self-help books, and all those things that will give you the ability to forbear and be lowly and be meek and love. The only thing that we can do, the only way we can do it, these are the precepts of unity, lowliness, long-suffering, love, and laboring, the only thing that allows us to do it is the power of unity. And the power of unity is this. Endeavoring to keep the unity of the what? Spirit. Ephesians 2.1. A couple chapters back is Paul. This is one of those therefores he was referencing. He says this. And you hath he quickened who were dead in trespasses and sins. Wherein, in time past, you walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience. That's a lowercase spirit. That's Satan. Among whom also we all had our conversation in times past in the lusts of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature the children of wrath, even as others. But God, who is rich in mercy, for His great love wherewith He loved us, even when we were dead in sins, hath quickened us together with Christ. By grace are you saved. And hath raised us up together and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus, that in ages to come He might show the exceeding riches of His grace and His kindness toward us through Christ Jesus. For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast, for we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. 
That word quickened, back there in the first verses of that chapter, that means brought to life, resurrected, given new life. And that quickening only happens by the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. And this morning, can I say this? What happened to the Holy Spirit in church? What happened to the Holy Spirit in the lives of Christ of Christians? Saying, well, Brother Paul, I, I just can't do that. Or I don't know, I, I know what you're saying, the Bible says, but I just can't let it go. But I just can't be in unity. But I just can't do that. Well, I know you can't, but he can. Does he live in you? Does he live in you? If he lives in you, you can be faithful to church. If he lives in you, you can be a good father and a good mother and a good husband and a good Christian. You can love your brother and not have these things if he lives in you. How? Through the power of unity of the Spirit of God. That's it. It's literally a superpower. That's what it is. It's something that God has put in us that the natural man can't do. Amen. We can love one another because He is in us. You can. Amen. Our gracious wife in the Spirit in those first five verses very plainly said, for by grace are you saved through faith. That not of yourselves, it's a gift of God. You're saved by grace. That's it. It's gracious that God has given us a quickening together with Him, it's a new life. Only by His grace, He's given us a new life. You know what that means? That we are new creatures. Amen. Old things pass away. Behold, all things are become new. Like the song that I sang a second ago, that the old man is dead and there is a new person. And that new person has the ability to be better. To have unity with God and unity with the Spirit. Why? Because the Spirit indwells us. Amen. Amen? Is the Spirit in you? Have you been saved? If you've been saved, then you have the ability to be at unity. Amen. You have that ability to be at unity with God and to forbear and to love and to, and to labor and, and to have long-suffering and lowliness and meekness. You have that ability because God lives in you. That's the key. That's what we've got to understand. We can't make unity. And we can't produce unity. Only God can. Our gracious life in the Spirit, our granting life in the Spirit is this. He calls it there in verse number 6. I believe it is. Or let me see here. No, it's verse number 7. He calls it this. The exceeding riches of His grace and His kindness toward us through Christ Jesus. Those exceeding riches of His grace, those exceeding riches, it's he will supply all our need according to His riches and glory. That He has a never-ending supply of grace that He grants to us that we can overcome our flesh and overcome sin and overcome disputings and overcome discord and disunity. Are y'all listening this morning? Why? Because of His exceeding riches of His grace. It's a gracious Granting life in the Spirit. It's like Paul said in Philippians 4.13, I can do all things through Christ, which strengtheneth me. I can be at unity with my brethren because of His grace. A growing life in the Spirit. Verse 10, he says this, For we are His workmanship. You know what workmanship is? It's something that He is making. Y'all know that old song? He's still working on me to make me what I ought to be. 
It took him just a week to make the moon and the stars, the sun and the earth and Jupiter and Mars. What is it? How patient and loving he must be. Is he patient with you? Amen. He's patient. And we're his workmanship. And like the clay in the hand of the potter, as the Bible describes it, oftentimes it gets misshapen or broken up. And you know what he does? He doesn't throw the clay away. He starts over and he just works us again, works us again, works on us again. Well, it's okay. There's a blemish here. There's a problem there. And he just keeps working because it's a growing life in the Spirit. It's progressional. It's not, well, I didn't wake up the day after I got saved and suddenly I'm a perfect human. That's not the way it works. It's a daily walk. It's a striving together. It's an endeavoring walk. It's hard. It's laborious. And we got to go forward. But we can do it because it's His work in us. We are His workmanship. Here's the question, Christian. If you're His workmanship, why is His work not being done in you? Say, so, well, like you just said, we've got flaws and we've got problems. That's right, we do. But he works them. When's the last time he fixed something in you? When's the last time? Let me ask a serious question. Because I told you this. I told you this last Sunday, I'll say it again. We will never have the blessings of God on our church without unity. We read it in Psalm 133. It's sweet and it's good. It's pleasant. But without it, it's the opposite. In fact, our Bible tells us in James chapter 4, verse 6, that God resisteth the proud, but giveth grace unto the humble. And disunity only comes by contention. And contention only comes by pride. That if we allow pride to come into our church, that it's going to reject the gifts of God and the blessings of God. Because God resists the proud. We don't need that. No, what we need is we need that, that exceeding riches of His grace. And that comes on the lowly, the meek, the humble. We don't need that resisting of God. We need that ex exceeding riches of His grace. Can you see that this morning? So let me ask you a simple question. When's the last time that God worked in you? We are His workmanship. We are His workmanship. Created in Christ Jesus under what? Good works which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. You know what that tells me? That when God saves us, He quickens us and gives us the Spirit and gives us a direct link to His exceeding riches of grace so that He can work on us, work in us, and work through us for good works. This week, I think it was yesterday maybe, Brooke will probably hate me telling you this. But I, I'm just going to give you an example of how the Lord's working on me. She said something to me. I don't know what it was. But when she said it, because I'm me, it frustrated me. And I wanted to respond with a sarcastic comment. But the Lord has been dealing with me about that. Probably because I've been preaching on unity. I don't know. And I, I, she said something, and I... Stopped, and I walked into the laundry room where she was standing there, and I walked up to her, and I just didn't say a word, and I hugged her, and I said, I love you. And she looked at me like, what's the catch? And I said, I, 
Uh, I, I, the Lord's been, tell, uh, been helping me, and from, I've decided from now on, every, every time I want to smart off or say something hateful, I'm going to try to instead tell you I love you and give you a hug, and maybe that'll teach me not to say hateful things. Uh, guess what? I still say hateful things. But he's working on me. When's the last time you were worked on? Oh, I'm just me. I'm just, I'm that smart aleck guy. I'm that get you guy. I'm not, I'm that lady who, you know, I just get mad. You know, you just got to deal. I, I just am who I am. And if you don't like it, you need to get out. And I just am the way I am. Amen. So am I. But I'm his workmanship now. Now, as a natural man, I'm this and I'm that. But as his workmanship, he's working on me to make me what I ought to be. He's working in me so that I can be fit for good works. You know what's not fit for good works? Hateful, variance, disputings, envyings, murders, the Bible calls them. Hate, anger, bitterness. That's not fit for good works. The only thing that's fit for good works is a lowliness and love. If we want unity in our church and you want unity, listen, in your home. We, were, we, were, we went to a Valentine's thing. My dad and them had one last night. And since we could drive two miles away, we went. And uh, they did some silly little newlywed game that I'm pretty sure is only designed to cause problems in people's marriages. <laughs> and we were sitting in the seat, and one of the questions that came up up there for the ones that was doing it was, uh, who won the last argument that y'all had? You see what I'm saying? Don't ask that. All that's happening is all the husbands on one side just start sweating profusely. Amen. And we looked, I looked at her and she looked at me and she was like, who won the last argument we had? And I said, I don't remember the last time we had an honest-to-goodness argument. Now, we have little disputes, but I said, honestly, nobody ever wins when we argue. And some of y'all are thinking, well, I always win, bless God. Yeah, okay. Sure. <laughs> Amen. She, and no, those you're honest are saying she always wins, amen. The truth is, nobody wins in an argument because everybody goes away hurt and all that stuff. And we're talking about that. That fact is very simply that God wants to work in us to create peace. That's why it says here in our verse that we are to endeavor to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. The Spirit won't work in a hostile environment. I'm almost done. He won't work in a hostile environment. You say, Brother Paul, I want peace and I want unity in our church and I want peace and I want unity in my home and in my marriage and I want peace and I want unity with my children and, and with God. Amen. Then you're going to have to get pride variance and disputings out the window and you're going to have to say God I can see the areas where I fail and I need you to work on me amen I need you to work on me and that's the last thing we see the peace of unity Hebrews 12 12 says this wherefore lift up the hands which hang down in the feeble knees and make straight paths for your feet Lest that which is lame be turned out of the way, but let it rather be healed. You know what he's saying when he says that there? Those things in your life that are broken and that are damaged and that are a problem, 
your hatefulness, your short temper, those, those, the, the opposites of lowliness and the opposite of meekness and the things that are causing the, the disunity in your home and the disunity in your church, amen? You need to make a straight path so those, those things can get fixed. Follow peace with all men and holiness without which no man shall see the Lord. You want God to work in your life? You're going to have to have peace. You're going to have to have holiness. Looking diligently lest any man fail of the grace of God, lest any root of bitterness springing up trouble you, and thereby many be defiled. You know what that tells me? One person. Y'all need to understand something. God is about unity. In fact, He is so much about unity that He says this, I believe, in the book of Hebrews as well. A little, or maybe, maybe it's Galatians, a little leaven leaveneth the whole lump. You know what that tells me? When God looks at us, He says this, ye are one body. Over in Corinthians, He talks about how that the hand can't say, well, I'm not a part of the body. The foot can't say, well, I'm not a part of the body. My foot might decide that it don't want to be a part of this body anymore, but that foot can't do anything about it. It just is. One part of the body causes disunity for the entire body. My dad fell off a ladder about a month, month and a half ago or so, destroyed his foot, refused to go to the doctor over it, you know, some of y'all know some people like that yourselves. Amen. He just wouldn't go. And, you know, he's like, it'll be all right. What are they going to do? Put a cast on it. What's that going to do anyway? So he didn't go. And uh, he's healing. But he went outside the other day and was doing some work before the ice and climbed on a ladder. And uh, he was just on the ladder for a while doing a little work, not way up high or anything dangerous. But when he came down off of it, he could barely walk on that foot because it's standing on it sitting on it and different, you know, just being like there in one spot so long. And we were over there because of the ice. We didn't have power for a little while. And my daughter wanted to play like she always does. And he got down on the floor. When he was getting back up, he said, man, I just, I just can't do it like I could before. You know why? Because he's got one thing right here. In comparison with the whole body, it's really a small thing. But that one thing, ain't y'all ever had a bad tooth? I ripped half my toenail off. Y'all don't want to hear about that not too long ago. And I'm telling you, I could barely walk for a couple days. My toenail. Ew. First of all. Second of all, it's insane how such a tiny little part can throw off the function of the whole body. Well, Paul, that's a lot of responsibility. It would be for a natural man. But if you've got the Spirit dwelling in you, You've got the power of God to be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Amen. To be conformed to the image of Christ. To be given that power that He works in us because we're His workmanship. Are you getting this? Are you listening? Because here's what I think is going on in a lot of people's minds. They come. They're here for a service. They're here for another service, whatever. They come in and they think, I'm not changing. Preach it all you want. Amen? Preach it all you want. 
I've already got to hear it from her, from him, from them. And I know that this is not the way I need to be doing things. And I know that it's causing problems in my home. And I know that it's doing this or it's doing that. But it's just me. It don't matter what I do. It's my life. Are you saved? Because if you are, the only life you got is the life that Christ gave you. And if you are, one small part can leaven the whole lump. Why is unity such a big deal? Without it, we're dead in the water. That if you, if you put yourself directly in rebellion to God, one of two things is eventually going to happen. You're going to get it right. Well, one of three things. You're going to get it right. Amen. And everything's going to be good. Or you're going to stick around and eventually cause a problem for the whole body, which will be the next thing that will happen if you don't get it right. And then eventually, surgical removal. That God, not me, not brother so-and-so, not sister so-and-so, but God will eventually remove you as part of the problem. Because I tell you what God's not going to do, and that's, that's hard, isn't it? Isn't that hard? But can I tell you what God's not going to do? And can I tell you this morning, I hope you don't think that I'm saying, if you've got this little issue or that little issue, bless God, you need to get out. You know what I want? Every, I've said it, I'll say it again, every soul in unity. If you're here this morning, you know what I want? I want you here in this church, in your place. God using you and God blessing you and blessing your home. I want you here. I'm so glad you're here. Amen. And there's some that aren't here because of illness or because of uh, you know, the, the pandemic or because of the weather or because of sin. And you know what I want? I want them here. And I want God working in them. That's what I want. The last thing I want is to see God remove someone. But a little leaven leaveneth the whole lump. And if we don't have unity in the spirit, we got no power in the church. We don't have unity in the spirit. We don't have power in the church. Why don't we have a blowout worship service, Brother Paul? Why, how come when we sing, it's not just the Lord filling it up? And, and how, come the, how come every time we try to do this, we have problems? And, and we got problems over here and this thing going on this over there. We need unity of the spirit. We need God to work in us as his workmanship. They've got flaws, and I've got flaws, and you've got flaws. But if we're indwelled, it doesn't matter what you've done. It doesn't matter how far you've strayed. It doesn't matter what you've said. God wants you, as a part of this spiritual building, He wants to work in you. Amen. He wants to work in you. Let's all stand this morning. Miss Brandy, would you care to come to the piano for us? Don't, please, please don't let it pass you by. Brother Paul, I'm not a problem. Amen, I'm glad. You ought to pray. Lord, help that one who seems to be pulling away. Help that one who's got sin in their life. Lord, help that one who, who's upset and that root of bitterness is spread in because the verse told us very plainly that if we let that root of bitterness come in, you know what it will do? It said this, thereby many be defiled. 
one root of bitterness can defile many. Lord, help us. Lord, move us. Don't reject. Turn away. Come to God. Be in unity. Father, Lord, we thank you this morning, God. Thank you for your word. Thank you, Lord, for the power that you've given us due to your exceeding riches of your grace. Father, I pray this morning that in the Spirit you would work in us. God, please, Lord, please, through the Spirit, work in us. God, I pray, Lord, work in our hearts, work in our minds. Give us lowliness and meekness, God. Give us long-suffering and forbearance. God, work in us this morning. Lord, I know, Lord, that in me dwelleth no good thing, but God, I know that your Spirit has the power to transform me. God, I know that you have the power and the ability through your Spirit to remake us in your image and to bring us together as one body in Christ to do a work in us. God, please, bring bring peace to our homes. Bring peace to our church. Bring peace to our hearts and our minds. Bring us into unity with the Spirit and with each other. Lord, we need you. God, we can do nothing without you. Lord, how greatly do we desire, Lord, to fulfill your, your vision for our church. And God, we know that the first thing we need Thank you, Lord, for love. Thank you for mercy. Help us, Lord, in Jesus' name. Thank you again for listening to the Calvary Road Baptist Church Podcast. If you would like to learn more about our church in Shepherdsville, Kentucky, you can find the link to our website in the show notes to www.calvaryroadbaptistchurch.com. We're so thankful that you've taken the time to listen to today's sermon, and we hope that the Lord will use it to edify you in the faith. If you'd like to help spread the word about this podcast, you can do so by leaving us a five-star review on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts, or by telling a friend. Thank you again, and have a blessed day in the Lord. Thank you.